Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, in the midst of the brokenness of this world, the sorrows that we face, we thank You, Lord, that we are not alone. We thank You, Lord, that we have hope in Your Gospel plan of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, show us more clearly today that hope that we have in Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever been in a desperate situation? A time in your life when it seemed like your world was just spinning out of control and there was no hope for you to save yourself. I had just turned 16 and one Saturday morning I was on my way to a friend's house and as I went into a curve I began to I felt a, a bump in the road and as I hit that bump I began to feel the the backside of my sister's car which I was borrowing the, for the day began to slide out from behind me and so being the experienced driver that I was uh, I thought I could correct this so I spun the wheel the opposite direction but guess what? I oversteered. And so instead of sliding this way, I found myself sliding this way, sideways across the highway. I was completely out of control. I was in a desperate situation, and I had no hope of saving myself. The car ended up hitting a culvert and flipping over on its top side. But by the grace of God... I came out without a scratch. Well, we've all faced those moments, those desperate moments of life where we've, we've felt the brokenness of this world, knowing that through it all we could never, ever save ourselves. You know, sin put mankind in a desperate situation. Sin put mankind in a desperate situation, and our only hope of salvation is not through our own means, but through God's grace, through His plan of salvation, through Jesus Christ. In today's message, that's exactly what we, we see. As we look in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, we started there last week, but we'll continue there today. In our text today, last week, you remember, we saw the curse of sin. But this week, we see this. Here's the message in a sentence. Cursed by sin, our only hope of salvation is faith in God's promised Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Cursed by sin, our only hope of salvation, our only hope of salvation is God's promised Savior, Jesus Christ. Christians, we need to hear this message, and we need to hear it over and over and over again. Unless we get overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world and begin to live as those who have no hope. There are some here today, you need to hear this because you're living in brokenness. 
And you have no hope because you've never trusted in Jesus. Listen to the message today. This is God's plan of salvation to to bring you out of the brokenness. And He he tells us this plan from the very, very beginning. Hear the message. Trust in His Savior. And understand, receive the salvation that He has for you. As we've been going through this study, and we've been studying gospel-shaped outreach, and as we've been going through this study, we've answered a few questions already. The first question is, how are we doing as a church? How are we doing in the commission that God has given us to do? Who is Jesus was the second question. And then third, who are we? And then last week, looking in Genesis chapter 3, we looked at that question, who are we reaching? Who are we reaching? And we identified those who we are to reach with the gospel as the lost. And the lost are enslaved to sin, and their only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, we continue in this passage from Genesis chapter 3. Last week, again, we looked at the enslavement to sin. We looked at the curse of sin. And this week, we, we pick up there again, and we look for gospel, the God's gospel plan of salvation. And even as I indicated at the end of last week's message, we have that plan at least given to us in seed form in this text. And so I want to open that up today and see God's gospel plan of salvation and how that plan promises us hope in the midst of all this brokenness. Well, last week we began looking at this text, and of course, again, let's just kind of think through what happened last week. Adam and Eve, they were there living in the Garden of Eden, and everything was perfect. There was perfection in creation, there was perfection in relation, but then the unthinkable happened. Adam and Eve, instead of living in obedience to God, they decided to disobey God. And they, be- they believed the deception of Satan rather than the Word of God, and they sinned. And because of their sin, the curse came upon the world. And we saw last week that those who are lost, those who are outside of Christ, we Before we came to Christ, we were enslaved to sin. We were under the curse of sin. We were enslaved to the deception of sin. We were enslaved to the uh, expressions of sin. And we were enslaved to the curse of sin, the consequences of sin. And we identified that brokenness, or we identified the the, uh, consequences of sin Summing it up in one term, there was brokenness. Brokenness entered into the world. There was brokenness in relationships as the relationship with God was broken and the relationship between husband and wife was broken. There was brokenness in in the physical realm. There was physical brokenness. There's pain and suffering enters into the world. There's creational brokenness as the the ground gave way to thorns and thistles. And then there's the ultimate of brokenness, the ultimate expression of brokenness, death. And so all of this was brought into the world 
through man's sin, but because of his disobedience to God. But as we, we look at today's text, and we're going to be focusing on Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through 24, and then going back and picking up verse 15 as well. But as we, we look at this and we come down to verse 20, I want you to, as we begin to read this in a moment, I want you to catch this. There's a mood shift that takes place in the text. There's a change in the mood. We have before this the curse of sin. Coming to that ultimate curse, which is death. But then in verse 20, something happens. Change comes in. A shift in mood takes place. And, and the mood changes from curse to hope. I want you to see if you can see that as we read our text. And if you would, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now this morning, I'm going to pick up in, in verse 14 because I want you to see that mood of brokenness the mood of the curse and then see the shift in that at verse 20 hear the word of the lord the lord god said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, listen to this. Man, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take, uh, take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Did you pick it up? Did you see the subtle change in mood that takes place there? Let me show it to you. Let me point it out to you so that you're very clear. 
Look again at verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, God says, Adam, because of your sin, you are going to die. You are going to die. You are going to return to the ground from which I made you. And then Adam does an amazing thing. As soon as God pronounces, Adam, you're going to die, then Adam turns around and he looks to his wife, whom gave him the fruit that brought in death, and he called her name Eve. He called her name Eve. He called her life giver. Now you would think, you would think with the mood of the text being that of curse, and you would think with Adam just before that saying, God, this woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. You would think that Adam might call his name Deathbringer. But that's not what he does. He calls her life giver. Life giver. Why does he do that? Because Adam heard the good news. He heard the gospel as God pronounced the gospel to him. Let us look at the gospel. And, and as we think about the gospel that is pronounced here, even in this text, even in Genesis chapter 3, I want to show you four marks of the gospel this morning, four marks of the gospel that give us hope even amidst all the brokenness of the world. Four marks of the gospel that give us hope amidst the brokenness of this fallen world. And the first, the first mark of the gospel that we see here is that the gospel gives us hope in the promised seed. The gospel gives us hope in the promised seed. Look again at verse 15. There is the pronouncement of the gospel. God speaking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity, enmity, excuse me, enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and her, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, let's think about this text. This is the first pronouncement of the gospel. Again, he says, I will put enmity between your offspring. Literally, that word there is seed. It's seed. It's the, the Hebrew word means seed, just like a seed that you would sow in the ground and, and expect to, to get a crop. It's, it's that word seed. The ESV tra translates that offspring. NIV does the same thing. King James, New King James, NASB, they all, they all translate it seed. I like the term seed better. I think it gets across the metaphor a little bit better that God is, is bringing across here. But I like the word seed. That's why I say here's the hope in the promised seed. Here's the seed of the woman who brings hope in the midst of the curse. And notice that it is a singular seed. It's not many seed. It's one specific seed. It's not plural here. Of course, we wouldn't say offspring or seeds, plural. We, we would say, you know, buy a bag of seed. But in the Hebrew, it's plural. There's a plural noun there. There's a plural there. And so it's seeds. 
It would be plural, if, if, if it would be seeds if it were plural. But this is not a plural. This is a single, singular. It's a single seed, a one seed. And not many seed, but one seed. And it's a he. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It's this one specific seed that would come and defeat the seed of Satan that is sin. And we see this, this whole theme of the seed working out throughout Scripture. All throughout the rest of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, we see this theme come alive more and more. When you get to Genesis chapter 12, and Abram goes before God, and God says, Abraham, he says, look at the land before you. I will give it, I promise I'm going to give it to you and your seed after you, singular, one seed. One seed. One seed from Abraham through, God, through whom God would build a mighty, wonderful nation. One seed. Later on in Genesis chapter 22, when God comes again to Abraham, he says, uh, through your seed, one seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. One seed, a singular seed, this one specific seed who would come from Abraham and through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Again, when God comes to David, and promises David, makes this covenant with David. He says, David, I will bless your seed, a singular seed. And I will make his, his, his kingdom, his throne and his kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, an eternal kingdom, this one specific seed. And we find this coming to its climax in the New Testament when that one seed appears on earth and that one seed is our lord and savior jesus christ born of the virgin mary to be the king of kings and the lord of lords the one who would who would rule god's kingdom for all of eternity the one through whom all the nations would be blessed and salvation would be given we see this in case you, you don't believe the Gospels, in case you, you miss it in the Gospels, then Paul, he, he confirms this as an absolute for us in, Gen in Gal Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. He says there, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and offsprings. It does not say, seeds, right? Referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, the one offspring who is Christ. Jesus Christ is the promised offspring of the woman who would come and defeat sin once and for all. And it is sin that is defeated here. We see that again in the text. He, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is he talking about here? Well, a bruise to the heel it is, not a, is not a fatal blow. It's for a moment, but a bruise to the head, that's fatal. That is fatal. And so what Jesus is saying is the, the seed of the woman would come and deliver the fatal blow to sin and all the curse of sin. 
Noah was four years old when his parents were camping up at, camp, at uh, Petagene Mountain. And he was out there with his little, his little cousin, and they were tossing the football around. And inevitably, the, a, a pass went long, right? And the football rolled out into the woods, tumbled out into the bushes, and here goes little four-year-old Noah running in after the football. Well, he hadn't been in there long, and he burst out, burst, burst out of the bushes screaming at the top of his lungs. What happened? What happened? Something stung me on the leg. His parents actually thought, well, it was just a briar it was just a briar. Quit being a baby. Go eat your macaroni and cheese. You'll, you'll get over it. Well, a little bit later, his leg began to swell. And as they began to look at his leg and, and inspect his leg, sure enough, they saw two little teeth marks. They rushed Noah to the hospital, and the doctor confirmed he had been bitten by a snake. Didn't know exactly what kind of snake. He figured probably a, a small water moccasin being up there at, at uh, Pettigene State Park. And so the doctor, what did he do? He, he drew a line on Noah's leg, and he says, if the swelling gets past this line, bring him back, and we'll administer the antivenom. So they went back to Pettigene, and they watched his leg. And the swelling never got past that mark. His, his leg turned blue all around the, the bite, but it never got up past the mark. A week later, Noah was doing great. Oh yes, he had, he had experienced the swelling from the snake bite. He had experienced some sickness from the snake bite, but the snake bite wasn't a fatal blow to him. Now imagine what his dad Steve would have done if he could have found that snake. He would have crushed that snake's head. He would have driven it into the ground because that's what we do to snakes. Dear friend, Jesus Christ came and sin bit him. Sin bit him. He felt the brokenness of sin. As he went to Calvary's cross with the weight of sin upon his shoulders, he felt the venom of sin upon him. But it did not crush him. It did not deliver a fatal blow to Christ. Yet Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he delivered the final defeating blow to the head of sin. He destroyed sin. He defeated sin. Sin cannot come back. It cannot hurt those whom God loves. The promised seed defeated Sin. Even as sin came into the world, God looked to Adam. Even as he was pronouncing the curse of sin, he said, but listen here, Adam. I promise you, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to send a seed. And he's going to bear the venom of sin, and he's going to go and he's going to defeat sin once and for all. Oh, dear friend, today, are you feeling the brokenness of sin? Are you feeling the venom of sin even in your own life? 
Because we still feel the venom of sin, don't we? Its brokenness still affects us. Even as Christians, the, the brokenness of sin still affects us. But God says, I have taken care of sin through Jesus Christ. Sin has def been defeated. Oh, the venom may make us sick for a moment. It may hurt us for the moment. But sin cannot have a final victory over us. Because Jesus Christ, the seed of God, has won the victory for us. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But praise be to God who has given us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, there's hope amidst the brokenness of sin in the promised seed, Jesus Christ. But second, we see that there's hope amidst the brokenness in a sacrificial death. There's hope amidst the brokenness in a sacrificial death. You see here in the text that the ultimate consequence of sin is indeed death. Death came into the world. And all men have to die because of sin. The ultimate consequence is death. Death is a must. God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the fruit, the day you disobey, you shall surely die. Death is a must. It's a consequence of sin. And so unless we suffer death, someone has to come and take care of sin. Someone has to come and take care of death. And God promises us, alluded to us here in the text, but of course we know throughout the rest of Scripture it's revealed more fully that God sent the seed to die a sacrificial death, taking care of death for us. Here again, it's indicated in the prophecy, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, being that, that he suffered, right? He was bitten on the heel by sin. He suffered sin. But then it is illustrated further for us in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now think about this. Adam and Eve are standing there before God. They're naked and ashamed. They're standing there in their guilt before God. And what does God do? God goes off and He sacrifices an innocent to cover their guilt and their shame. God goes out to His creation. He takes an innocent animal, one with whom God had, had created. God loved that animal. He had created that animal. He made that, that animal. But because of His love for man, God goes out and He sacrifices the animal. This is the first sacrifice on earth. And God makes the sacrifice. He goes and He kills an innocent to cover the guilty. That's exactly what happened at Calvary's cross. When Jesus Christ, the chosen seed of God, went to Calvary, He was innocent. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a life of complete obedience to God. He was innocent. He didn't deserve death. He had no guilt. He had no shame. Yet He went to the cross. 
And he died the death of a guilty man. He took on our guilt and our shame. He was sacrificed so that we might be covered with his righteousness. He took our guilt so that we could have his righteousness. A death had to be died. Someone had to die for sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ was a sacrifice. God's sacrifice who went to Calvary's cross, and He died the death that we deserve to cover our sin and our shame. He paid the penalty of death. And three days later, He rose again from the grave so that He might cover us in His righteousness. We are clothed when we trust in Jesus. We are clothed not by our own sin, not by our own guilt, but by the righteousness, the purity of Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friend, death affects each and every one of us. Each and every one of us have been touched by death. Whether it be a parent or a grandparent or a spouse or even a child, we have all been touched by death. But I want you to know, dear friend, that God understands our sorrow. When death touches us, God understands our sorrow because He sent His Son to die You think God didn't mourn the Son when the Son went to Calvary's cross? He understands our sorrow. He understands our mourning. But look at this. God, He took care. He overcame death through Jesus. So even when our loved ones die, when they are in Christ, it's not final. When we trust in in Christ, we know we will one day be reunited. It's no more than a a loved one taking a long trip. We're going to see them again. Oh, death has no victory over us. For Christ died to win the victory. Oh, dear friend, there's hope in God's plan of salvation through the promised seed and His sacrificial death. Do you trust in Him today? Do you trust in Him? Amidst the brokenness of sin, the Gospel gives us hope in God's promised seed and His sacrificial death. And third, we see that the Gospel gives us hope through faith. And I add faith alone. The Gospel gives us hope through faith alone. Again, this is not, uh, it's not given in detail here. It's not explicit here, but it is implied, I think, in, in the text that we look and see here. Again, return to verse 20 and verse 21. Here we have that shift taking place. The man, he calls his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Look here. Adam, he believed God's promise. That's why he turns around with this this hope and calls his wife's name Eve. And why does God respond to Adam's, his belief? 
And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Dear friend, I think what we see here is Adam believed God and God counted his faith as righteousness. That's what we see, right? Adam is is there, he's naked and ashamed before God. But he believes God, and how does God respond to his belief? He covers his guilt and his shame. He believed God, just like Abraham when he was on the mountain with God, and God said, look at the skies, look at the stars, Abram, and count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Here God pronounced the gospel to Adam in seed form, and Adam believes God, and God counts it to him as righteousness by covering his guilt and his shame. Have you ever had that dream where you wake up and you're, and you're, or you're, you walk into class, or you walk into work, and... Everyone is kind of snickering at you as you walk in the door. And, and what are they laughing at? And you look down and you're naked. I think that's a, a kind of a universal dream. I think everybody's had that dream. Right? We have, a, we have that, that we, that's our worst fear is that we would wake up and find ourselves naked before everyone. Well, here's Adam and he wakes up and he's not dreaming. This is real. He is naked before God. He had never known this before. But when sin comes into the world, now he feels his guilt and his shame, and he is naked before God in humiliation. Oh, he tried. He tried to to weave together an organic tapestry of his own creation, right? He, He weaved together some fig leaves to try to cover his nakedness, to cover his shame. But I don't know, have you ever tried to make garments out of leaves? It doesn't work very well. It didn't work. As hard as he tried to cover himself, it did not work. But when he believed God, God covered his shame. God covered his guilt. Dear friends, in reality, we're all naked and ashamed before God. We have no righteousness of our own, nothing to show God. We're naked and ashamed. So many of us, we try to cover ourselves with some kind of tapestry of our own creation. We try to cover ourselves with this good work or that good work, this good deed, that good deed, but none of it will ever work. Because at the end of the day, everything that we try to cover ourselves with is just leaves, drying up and dying and withering away. But our nakedness, our shame... Our sin, our guilt is covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ when we trust in Christ alone. You have faith in Jesus? There's nothing else to do. Do you believe God? Do you trust in His promise? If you do, He will cover your sin and your shame so that you may stand before Him without guilt. 
Though amidst the brokenness of sin, the Gospel gives us hope and God's promised seed and His sacrificial death. And this hope is through faith in God's promise. And then finally, amidst the brokenness of sin, the Gospel gives us hope for eternal life. The Gospel gives us hope for eternal life. We see this in the last few verses. We have this text here. Then God, the Lord, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What's, what's going on here? I had to really question this and, and, and think through this. What's, what's happening here? I mean, here, here is the tree of life, and God, he doesn't want Adam to reach out and partake of the tree of life. So God runs Adam and Eve out of the garden. He sets a guard before the tree of life so that they not partake of the tree of life. What's happening here? I want you to see this, that this is a grace of God. This is a wonderful grace of God. What would have happened if Adam and Eve had have reached out their hand and partook of the tree of life in their sin? They would have eternally been trapped in their sin. Just like Satan, there would be no hope of salvation for them had they reached out and taken of the tree of life in their sinful condition. So God in His grace forbids them for, from partaking of the tree of life and He sends them out. But this is not for, but this is not an eternal, right? This is not forever. Because at the end of the book, we see the tree of life appearing once again. Over in Revelation, and you can flip over there with me if you want to, Revelation chapter 22, we see the tree of life coming back to a new garden and a new city. Uh, chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life. The tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. No longer the curse of sin. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. See, by His grace, God ran them out of the garden. So that they would not partake of the tree of life and forever be caught in their sin. But He's saving it for a day when He will return 
And once again, He will open up the tree of life. And for all of those who trust in Jesus, then they will be able to partake of the tree of life and live forever and ever and ever in His kingdom. Oh dear friends, we face the brokenness of this world, don't we? We still feel the effects of, of sin even now. Even as Christians, we still feel the effects of the brokenness. And sometimes we wonder, why God? Why? Why still all of the brokenness? Why won't you take care of the brokenness? We need to see it as a grace of God. It is a grace of God that He allows us to continue, just like Adam and Eve, to continue to feel the effects of sin, still be under the curse of sin while we live on this world. Why? Because He still has a number. He still has a people to gather in to Himself. And when the full number of those who are, who are called by God unto salvation, to the full number of His people come into His kingdom... He will allow us to suffer the effects of sin so that all of His people may come into His kingdom and have eternal joy. Oh, what is it that we feel sorrow for a moment? What is it that we mourn for a moment? What is it that we feel sickness for a moment when we have the glory of eternity waiting for us? You know, chemotherapy is hard on cancer patients. But the hurt of the chemo is worth it for the life that is gained. Dear friends, the hurt that we feel even under the curse of sin on this, in this world, in this life, is worth it for the promise that God has given us of everlasting life in His glorious kingdom. Oh, dear friend, you're here today and you're feeling the brokenness of sin. But know that this sorrow is but for a moment. But joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. There's a day coming when the full number of God's elect will come into His kingdom and Jesus Christ will come down from heaven and the trumpet will sound and those who are in Christ will be joined together with Him in the air and all things will be made new. They will take on glorious bodies, bodies free of sickness, bodies free of death, God, bodies free from the curse of sin to go into His eternal kingdom and live all of eternity knowing the joy of His everlasting life. What is sorrow for a moment when joy comes in the morning? Oh, the joy of the Gospel. Amidst the brokenness of sin, amidst the sorrow of sin in this world, the Gospel gives us hope through God's appointed seed who came and died for us, gave His life for us on Calvary's cross. And by God's grace through faith, 
We can know the joy of eternal life, the joy of new life in Him. We only trust in Him. What is the gospel plan? It is hope for the desperate and the broken. The gospel plan is hope for the desperate and the broken. During the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century, German pastor Paul Gerhardt and his family were, were forced to flee from their homes. One night as they were staying in a small village inn, homeless and afraid, his wife broke down and cried openly in desperation. Gerhard tried to comfort her with all the promises of Scripture. And then he, he went out to the garden, and, and as he was walking in the garden, there he too broke down and wept in desperation. He felt as if that was his darkest hour. Soon, however, Gerhard felt the, the burden lifted and sensed a, a newness of the presence of the Lord with him. And taking his pen, he wrote a hymn that has now brought comfort to so many others around the world. It goes like this. Give to the wind thy fears. Hope and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms, He gently clears the way. Wait thou his time, so shall the night so end in joyous day. Oh dear friend, the curse of sin has left us desperate and broken in this life. But God's gospel plan of salvation is hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came, He defeated sin, so we might have the hope of everlasting life. Dear Christian, today, are you feeling the brokenness of sin? Are you feeling the effects of sin in your own life? Have you suffered death? Have you suffered illness? Are you feeling the brokenness? Today, in a moment, when, when we pray, I want you to pray to God. I want you to pray to God, and I want you to affirm all the promises of God that are in the Gospel, that Jesus has defeated the brokenness of sin that is afflicting your life, and Jesus gives you eternal life and eternal hope when you trust in Him. Oh, today, affirm that and pray that God would give you strength in your brokenness through the power of the Gospel. Some of you Christians here today, you know someone who is suffering brokenness even now. Whether it is they've lost a loved one or, or whatever it may be. And they're coming to mind even today. As we pray, I want you to pray that God would give you courage and strength to go to them and speak the, the hope of the Gospel into their lives. But for some here today, you are lost in brokenness because you don't know the joy of salvation that is in Jesus Christ. 
Let me tell you, dear friend, Jesus Christ came and He died on Calvary's cross to take away your brokenness. To cure sin. To take you out of your guilt and shame. To remove your guilt and shame so that you may have forgiveness before God and eternal life in Him. Will you trust in Him? Will you trust in Jesus today? Will you give your life to Him? If you confess your sins before God and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, He will save you. He has defeated the brokenness. And He will not leave you alone to face the brokenness of this life alone. He will give you strength even now to defeat the brokenness in your life if you will trust Him. Trust Him today. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for the promises that You have given us even from the beginning. Even as sin came into the world, Lord, You came and You promised freedom. You promised freedom from that enslavement. You promised freedom from the curse. And You brought that freedom through Your Son, Jesus Christ, who was Himself God in human flesh. who was without guilt, without shame, yet went to Calvary's cross and died for us. And He was raised again to assure us of everlasting life in Him. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You that in the midst of, of brokenness in our own lives, Lord, we can cling to the foot of the cross knowing that You give us power to overcome and hope of eternal joy in Your kingdom. Oh Lord, if there are those here today, and surely there are, they came here broken. They came here without hope. Oh Lord, let them see Jesus. Let them trust in Jesus. Let them hope, trust in your good news of salvation. And know the hope and the joy that come with your salvation. Save them today, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.